Sales Tuners, Episode 59, Kristen Chivago, President at Chivago Partners. You know you've sold when the customer starts to sell you back. That's when you know you've actually made the sale and it's time to shut up. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from William Arthur Ward, who said, the pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects it to change, and the realist adjusts his sales. Joining me today is Kristen Chivago, president at Chivago Partners and author of Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. Kristen started out selling machine shop tools when she was only 17 as the only woman in the nation. Her manager gave her a catalog, no training, and essentially said, go get them, honey, and told her she could make $3,000 a week. Eyes filled with paying for college and driving a fancy car, Kristen barely made enough to pay for gas. That experience drove her to learn as much as she could about both technology and the sales process. You're going to like this one. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 59. But now let's get to the conversation where Kristen explains the reaction from the men in her company when a woman walked out onto the shop floor. I mean, they just figured, you know, a young girl walking into a machine shop would be sufficient. (laughs) Amazing. And it wasn't. Um, There was an old foreman who came out and the whole shop shut down. I remember this very distinctly. And all the guys came out and they were looking at me like I was something from an alien planet or something. And the guy said, well, it's very nice that you're selling machine shop tools, but can you tell me why your drill bit's better than the one I'm using now? And of course, I had no answer to that question. And something gets your attention when you're Uh, senior in high school is humiliation. Definitely a a super tool for getting your attention. I walked out of the park into the parking lot and I thought to myself, I am just going to do everything I can to learn everything I can about technology and sales. And I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, you certainly have. I want to just look today and then we're going to, we're going to flash back, but talk to me about your sales process today. What is Chivago Partners and and why does a typical customer uh, buy from you? Well, I'm trying to solve a problem, and I've I've been trying to solve the same problem for a long time, and that problem is the big gap between what customers want, what buyers want, and how they buy, and what sellers want, and what sellers think about how customers buy. So it's and it's still a big problem, even with all the digital tools that we have now. I mean, I can I can figure out how somebody gets to a company and what they type into Google. But neither of those things tell me why they bought. 
and what their frame of mind was and what they had gone through in that big movie that they had gone through before they even get to you. Those are the kinds of things that just create all kinds of problems. People go off running in a certain direction and they set all these strategies and set up campaigns and programs and they completely miss the mark. Everything we do is trying to bring those two worlds together so that the company does what the customer wants. You started to mention this uh, uh, distributorship that you're working with, Platt & Whitney. Take me way back there. How did you get into sales? Well, I was always selling. I, I, I started, so I was selling Girl Scout cookies when I was a kid. I used to go around the neighborhood. I'd find beautiful rocks. We lived by a, a beach and I'd find these beautiful rocks and I'd put them in my wagon and then I'd go and sell those rocks to the nice ladies in the neighborhood. And of course, at the time, I didn't realize that they didn't really want the rocks. They were just <laughs> being nice. One of the things I learned too is that don't think that selling to your friends is going to be the same as selling to real customers who have real skepticism and don't really have any vested interest in in being nice to you. It was always an interesting thing. I'll tell you what else got me though. I started working with engineers because I was selling machine shop tools and then I was working in Silicon Valley for a long time before I started my company. And I just loved engineers. I loved what they were doing. I loved the way they think. I actually was a headhunter, a technical headhunter for about five years in Silicon Valley. And I visited all the companies where I placed them and then I interviewed them at length. So I was really trying to do this matchmaking thing. And I just loved these engineers. I actually ended up marrying one. He's very artistic as well, but he's definitely an engineering guy. And what I noticed is that they were great at coming up with products, but really terrible at marketing. I mean, they just couldn't sell their way out of a wet paper bag, and I felt sorry for them. So that's kind of what led me into more and more of the selling and marketing side of it. Still staying in technology, still understanding, learning, staying on the bleeding edge, but always with the idea of, okay, it's a great product, you've done a pretty good job, but... Nobody understands what you're selling. You, you know, I have this old story that someone told me once that I love so much. It was about a guy, a marketing guy standing in front of a team of engineers and saying, okay, tell me why this product is better than, you know, our competitor's product. And they kept telling about feeds and speeds and all this stuff. And finally he said, you know, if you were selling Kentucky Fried Chicken, the top of your data sheet would say dead chicken parts. <laughs> and wow. the next line would be fried in grease at 200 degrees. And he was so right. You know, he said not one of you would have thought of finger licking good. And I love that story because that's the peak visual moment of satisfaction. That's the moment when the customer is the happiest that they just bought that chicken. They're licking their fingers. They haven't gotten indigestion yet. You know, it's just the peak moment. And so just trying to help people who come up with great products and services, get to that point where there's a finger-licking good moment, understanding what that is in the customer's mind, and then helping them communicate that to the customer is really what I live for. I hope you don't mind, Kristen, but I'm absolutely stealing that. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> dead chicken <laughs> dead I stole chicken it from parts. someone else, and he knows I stole it from him. That's I, I've right. been quoting him a long time. I was going to say, well, I'm going to quote you because you're the one that gave it to me, but dead <laughs> chicken parts to finger licking good. That's absolutely yeah. amazing. You said something uh, prior to that, and, and I want to come back, but uh, you said selling to your friends is not actually sales. I could not agree more with that, but can you, can you lean into that and tell me more what you mean? Because 
you know, you started by saying the the old ladies in the neighborhood you were selling the rocks to really didn't yeah. buy it. They had a vested interest in you being happy right. and, and kind of growing. But yeah. I, I, I do feel like people start these companies or at least start their sales job. And the first person they reach out to is all their friends and yeah. they think they're gaining traction. But tell me, tell me why that's not the case. So an entrepreneur starts a company. What are they going to do? I mean, the, the first thing they're going to do is go to people they know and say, here's my product. What do you think? And the person's going to try it. And unfortunately, about 50 to 75% of what they tell you, you're going to have to take with a grain of salt because they have no skepticism. They already trust you. They already respect you. They already think that you do a good job and that they admire how you do this kind of thing. They've known you for some time. So they, they, they don't, they're not sitting there going, who is this guy? And, you know, what does he care about? And does he really understand this? They're not thinking any of those thoughts. I call it selling in the skepticism swamp, which is really where we all are anymore because people have been so overpromised and underdelivered that they just really don't believe anything anymore. I mean, if you say user-friendly, limited only by your imagination, they're just going to be like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Tell me something I, I really need to know. So that's the problem. We, we go out and we, so we sell to those people first, the entrepreneur does, and it works out pretty well. And then he hires a salesperson and the salesperson goes out into the skepticism swamp and says, wait, this is really difficult. And the, the entrepreneur is like, well, I didn't have any trouble. What's your problem? That has happened so many times and so many salespeople gotten fired over it. It's really sad. I have a client right now. I'm sitting here shaking my head. I'm like, this is exactly <laughs> the client that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. She's done amazing for herself. She has a huge network and she can mm-hmm. just lean into that and sell to her friends and mm-hmm. they trust her. They're like, okay, yeah, whatever you say, yeah, we're in. Just sign us up for all that. Yeah. Yeah. But then those salespeople who go out and try to replicate what she's done, they're like, well, hold on. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and so even when they go to sell into the same network that she has, they still get hit with that skepticism. Well, hold on. I know her, but I don't know you. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the first thing that someone has to buy is is the salesperson themselves. But how do we do that? You know, in today's world, you know, I've read all the stats and, and you kind of even talked about this. You know, buyers are 50, 60, 70% of the way through the buying process before they ever even reach out to a salesperson. So how do we reframe the conversation or how do we even get started now? Well, the first thing that has to happen is you have to shut up. And that's really hard for us to do. And and we we tend to jump. That's a really big problem. And I'll tell you funny little stories. It wasn't really funny for me, but some years ago, I was having this terrible problem of interrupting my husband. My husband puts commas in his sentences and it sounds like he's done. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a comma. And I say it's, it is a comma. I think it's a period. And so I jump in being an enthusiastic person and start, you know, reacting to what turns out to be his half finished sentence. I haven't heard the whole thing yet. So I finally looked at him and being a nice wife and everything, I try really hard. I said, look, okay, I'm going to give you 50 bucks every time I interrupt you. Oh, wow. (laughs) $6,000 later. No way. Yes. Come on. Honest to God. He calls it his Steinway fund because he's been teaching himself to play the piano and he's going to use the money someday to buy this. That's our going joke. And I will say I haven't contributed to the fund for a couple of years now. Anyways, we really have to learn how to stop and really listen and listen to the point where they let us know they're finished 
before we say anything. Really hard to do. Well, I'm but try- it has to be done. See, I just did it. I was going to try to practice that, and I thought you put a period there, but it was a comma. So <laughs> I, I maybe I need to send fifty dollars to the Steinway Fund. So yeah, yeah. Well, it won't cost you any money. It's all right. That's those days are done. Thank God. You know, it's funny, Chris, and I had uh, Andy Paul on the show recently, and he talked about one of the things that he's done, an exercise that he's done to try to get over this is he'll go into a social setting, and it's his goal to see how long he can get the other person to talk about themselves before he ever says anything at all about himself. And so in order to do that, to keep it going, he's got to keep asking questions, but he has to listen to what they're saying to keep that flow going naturally. What suggestions do you have for us to shut up and just actually start listening? Well, the first suggestion I would have is to keep in mind that you won't sell anything while you're talking. And I know that's total uh, blasphemy as it relates to sales. I mean, people are like, well, excuse me, what are you talking about? The customer will actually talk themselves into buying something if you let them. They come to you wanting to buy. This is the thing that everybody misses. People like to buy things. They make money so they can buy things. They are are in constant pursuit of their next purchase. They want to buy. And what we need to do is, as my book title says, you know, make it easy for them. We have to get out of the way and let them do whatever they're going to do. And they'll literally talk themselves into it. One of the few lessons I've taught my husband over the years, probably more somewhere in there, but one for sure is once you've sold me, stop. Because he can talk me out of something. He's he's very good at, well, on the other hand, you know, we could look at it this way or that way, being an engineer, you know, and he's really, if he really wants me to say yes to something, he really needs to just state his case and then stop. And then I'll start coming back to him. You know you've sold when the customer starts to sell you back. That's when you know you've actually made the sale. And it's time to shut up. It's time to just, okay, accept that they've talked themselves into it. And they will. If you give them the right, you still have to answer their questions. You still have to be completely honest. But here's the problem. Salespeople have a an intention. And the intention is to close the sale, to get money from the customer. The customer wants to buy something, but that's different than giving you money. I know it seems weird, but they're only going to want to give you money after they've decided they want to buy. So their intention is to get their problem solved. That's what they want. It's different. You're right. And this is coming from your book as well. But like there, there is this misalignment between sales and the buyer, right? And, and, and I think the internet has a lot to do with that. Uh, I think that, you know, as, as we've already talked about, buyers are now coming to us more prepared. They have more of their questions already answered. But so tell me, Kristen, in this competitive landscape of let's say, you know, we're doing software sales and uh, a customer is looking at three different products. Yes, they're intending to buy, but they're not necessarily intending to buy from us. How do we use the internet? How do we use the changing and evolution of the buyer and their buyer's process to align to them the way they want to be sold to, I guess? Well, partly it falls on the shoulders of marketing and marketing people who don't interview their customers are in big trouble because they're guessing along with the rest of the company. The marketer should be the one who knows the customer better than anybody 
and is able, I mean, when I used to do those interviews for my, for my clients, I still do them to this day. After I've interviewed even as few as five or seven people, I know what those customers have in common and why they came and what they were thinking and what their story was and all of that. And there's a common thread and you can figure it out and it allows you to sit in a meeting when somebody says, well, no, we're not going to do that. It didn't work for me at my last company, so that's not a good idea. The customer thinks this. And you're like, no, I've just interviewed our customers and every single one said, and sometimes they say it in the exact same words, even though they've never talked to each other. These customers all said, this is what's important to them. And so that's what we're going to do. And the marketing person has to be the voice of authority. Now, you might say to me, well, why can't the salespeople be the voice of authority? Don't yeah, they that, talk that's to customers what I'm all thinking. day? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, no. The reason that the customer or the, the, the CEO can't trust what the salespeople are hearing is for this reason. The marketer should interview customers who have already purchased. So you are reverse engineering a successful sale and trying to regenerate new ones. The salesperson interviews or talks to the customer during the negotiation process. And when CEOs say, well, I don't need to do this. My customer, you know, my salespeople talk to customers all day. I say, fine. When was the last time you told a salesperson what you were really thinking while you were in that conversation. And the CEO looks at me and goes, oh. That's powerful. S-H-I-D or whatever. Yep. <laughs> you know, he's a head slapping moment. And he's like, oh, okay, never mind. You're right. So salespeople, even if they listen 100%, they're still going to learn more by listening. No question. It's going to make them way more powerful than any other salesperson they're competing against. But customers withhold information. Customers are so polite. I can't tell you how many times a salesperson has completely blown it. Like they might gossip about another customer and tell me something that I know is confidential. And at that moment, I'm like, I don't want to work with this guy. I'm, I can't trust this person. I don't want him blabbing about my stuff to somebody else. And so I, that's the moment I say, that's it. I'm done with this guy. But I don't say that to the guy because then he would say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I didn't mean that. And yes, you know, and then we'd go through, and I don't have time for that. I'm typical executive customer, just like, never mind. So I'd say, okay, that's great. Yes, go ahead, call me back, you know. So he goes out to his car and tells his boss he's landed this oh, sale. Yeah. I got one. Yeah. And I'm I'm the customer going back to my computer and typing another vendor for this type of thing into Google, okay? And he never knows. He never knows. That's what happened because I was very polite. I didn't, you know, it's poker. It's poker. I will make sure all of my clients listen to this conversation and basically <laughs> what you just said because they don't believe it, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I tell them like the, the buyer's process of buying is lying to you and stealing your information, right? And then hiding from you. <laughs> Makes the buyer sound terrible, but yes, but it's a defensive, I mean, because they're being attacked. Don't forget. All the time. And, yeah. And, but that's why I tell them as well. It's like, look, you have to realize you're competing against Bruno. Bruno is the bad salesperson out there doing all the lying, stealing, conniving, you know, oh, tactics yeah. and methods. And, and buyers have to put up a wall to shield themselves from Bruno. They don't know you. And if you think they're telling you the truth all the time, you're just wrong. And so you have to get them to the level you realize what is actually true and what's actually false. And that takes time and, and, and trust. 
I used to do rent-a-VP jobs when I was a revenue coach, and I would go into marketing and sales departments and turn them around. And uh, one thing I noticed about corporate life, because I had been an entrepreneur for many years, was the minute you start that job, you they give you this little, it's invisible, but it's not invisible. It's a little whiteboard that goes on your chest. It's like a, the, there's a little string that you can hang it on your neck, and it's a little whiteboard. And as you screw up, because everybody screws up. I mean, you know, there are things you've learned and you figure out and you, you know, something doesn't work. You get a black mark on your whiteboard. So the main factor that drives so many sales, especially in the B2B environment, where it's a lot of what we we play in, is fear of embarrassment. They do not want to be the guy with too many black marks on their whiteboard. So that makes them cautious. It makes them, I mean, talk about skeptical, talks about protecting themselves from salespeople who promise. And then you put in that big ERP system and it turns out it doesn't do, you know, you spend $100,000 in three months getting it put up and then you find out it doesn't have that API that you needed and you can't integrate with something else. And now you look like mud. That's what they're trying to avoid. And that's why it's a battle. Right. I think one of the things that, you know, we, we've talked about before, Kristen, is, you know, you said salespeople aren't being trained for, for today's customer. And I, and I think yeah. there's a lot that goes into that. But what do you mean when you say that? What, what should they be being trained on? Well, and even the question is, should salespeople be selling? Is that really what the customer needs? Interesting. <laughs> Go on. Uh, what if they're more like customer service people, like support people who, and, and I, this goes back to, I've interviewed a bunch of technical people and asked them, you know, how do you get, what's your buying process and all that. And one of the things they tell me is they go straight to the user manual. That's the first thing. They don't even look at the website. They don't, they just try to find the technical manual and download it because that's where they're going to know whether that API works or not. And it's like the how-to manual. And the biggest question that nobody answers that should be answered by marketers is going back to what you were saying before about, you know, what should we do? And the web the web should be answering questions for people. And one of the biggest questions we all don't answer is what's going to happen to me after I buy? That's the real big question. Am I going to get another black mark on my whiteboard because I didn't know about this one particular thing? Is this going to take longer than you're saying? You know, salespeople like to say, oh, no problem, we can do that. And then they go back to their team and go, can we do that? <laughs> so people are just petrified. So they download the manual and then they try to figure it out. So in a sense, what the buyer needs is somebody who's going to understand what they're up against. And I'm talking detailed, technical, what's going to happen to me after I buy. And they don't overpromise. It's funny because especially in technology, right? And then I think that's where mm -hmm. you're you're saying that you kind of go in. It, I remember this tweet exchange I had not too long ago, but uh, literally someone said, they told me I had a REST API. Or they told me they had an open API. Did they really just tell me to go F myself? And I just laughed because that's exactly what someone says. If we have an open API, what they're saying is we do not have an integration into what you're trying to integrate into, but because we have an open API, you can write your own and do whatever it is you want, but it's gonna be a lot of work on your end. So yes, they literally just told you to go F yourself. It's just <laughs> interesting uh, how all that works. Yeah. Kristen, one of the things uh, that you've also mentioned before is you having to get over yourself. And, and I mm -hmm. think that 
I, I know I've had a tough time with that, but how do we do that? Especially in today's world where everything that we've done is se- seemingly online. How do we lean into that notion of getting over ourselves? I think part of it is realizing, you know, there's this humility thing and I, I'm very spiritual and, and, you know, sort of a traditional sense or maybe non-traditional, I don't know, but I believe in God. I believe in um, be, there being a, a power beyond ourselves. And I think that's humbling. I think it's also humbling to realize that this all is moving so fast now. So the first thing is you can't be a know-it-all. You you can't know it all. And people think, well, Google's at your fingertips. So, you know, uh, you say a weird word and while you're still talking, I'll look it up on Google and I'll sound really smart because I just looked it up in Wikipedia and now I understand what you're talking about. I mean, that's made people kind of lazy about and it's made us very um, thinking that, you know, we can know it all, but you can't. And even if you're an expert at this, I mean, I tell my 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 company's called Chivago Partners because I'm partnering with my clients to try to figure this out. And I'll bring everything I can to that situation and that endeavor. But they're going to bring a lot. The customers are going to bring a lot. Everybody knows something that's going to help more. So you really have to get over that. I know this all. I'm a salesperson. I've memorized this whole thing. I can, you know, just get me to the right place in the conversation, push the button, and I'll start talking. That's been the way it's been for decades. And you can't do that anymore. It has to be interactive. We have to do it together. It's interesting. We have to do it together. One of the things that I talk to my clients about is sales calls should happen with prospects, not to them. (laughs) That's very good. Yes, yeah. that's exactly it. Yeah. It has to be interactive. I like that. And I do got to take a quick break so that I can thank my sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go either. We'll be right back. Pipedrive is the sales CRM built by salespeople for salespeople. I love it because it allows me to visualize my pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ensuring I don't drop the important activities and conversations needed. And the managers I work with love it because it's simple and they don't have to nag their team to actually use it. But sales sooners, don't just take my word for it. You can check it out for yourself for free for 30 days at salesooners.com slash pipe drive. And it's time for the money round. Kristen, are you ready for the money round? Yep. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I'd have to say God. I I just can't lie. It's just the truth. I know people are all unpolitically correct these days and everything, but I really have become a better person because I understand that there's somebody else out there and you can actually get help from that quarter. And I do. And it's just made me just get over myself and become a better person and understand what's really important. I've become more and more and more about love and family and friends and just gotten completely um, relaxed about life. And it's working out really well. Kristen, if you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would interview customers, honestly. I mean, I would interview people who had bought from me or my customers, or I would just start interviewing people and asking them about their buying process, because that has taught me more than anything else. Yes, you have to keep up with technology and you have to understand what you're selling and all of that stuff's really important. But if you don't understand 
the buyer, you can't sell. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. Oh, that's easy. I love to win. It's fun. I'm not bitter. I don't hate to lose. I, if I lose, I'm like, okay, fine, next. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Honestly, I'm reading the the Outlander series these days. Uh, when It's my recreational reading. It's like just before I go to sleep or something. But there's something about the way that woman writes. And I'm a writer. I, I just... I, she gets it. She gets human nature. She gets, and she's, the, the Outlander series is basically about a couple and their whole kind of life story. It's not just, doesn't just end at, you know, kissing and that's the end of the movie. She's going all the way through the marriage and children and everything. And, and it's a big adventure historical thing as well. So it's just, I don't know. I keep coming back to them and, and now they've got a, a series, TV series on it, which is also very well done. So that's, if you want to learn about human nature and the hero who is just probably one of the most well-adjusted men I've ever seen in any in life or in uh, a theater, you know, a movie kind of situation. It's just refreshing. It's all good. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Kristen's suggestion of the Outlander series for free, you can head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Kristen, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? Just getting better, honestly, and just loving more. That's really, that's all I care about right now. I just, you know, the older you get, the more you just want to get better, not older. Or I'm still going to get older. You can't do anything about it. But I want to get better as I'm getting older. And that's the number one thing on my bucket list. And be a better wife. I, I just, I'm, to me, that's like a full-time enjoyable thing to be doing. So it's worth it. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Chill out. Honestly, just chill out. I mean, life is good if you just, just start listening, start pulling back a little bit. Don't be so lean forward, leaning forward for learning stuff. Absolutely. Leaning forward in your, in your interactions. Mm, doesn't work so well. Just back up, back down a little bit, take yourself down a little bit, just sort of start listening, understanding and comprehending, absorbing, empathizing. I mean, it, the more you do that, the better everything's going to be. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Kristen. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Uh, just go to zhivagopartners.com. Uh, you can also look for my book, Roadmap to Revenue, on Amazon. Um, and uh, honestly, I'm I'm all around. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and all of those places. You can just Google Kristen Zhivago and you, you'll find me. Kristen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was great. I enjoyed it. I often judge a conversation by whether it gave me energy or if it took energy away from me. Kristen definitely filled me with energy and I could have talked to her for at least another hour. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, selling your friends is not traction. When launching a new product or company for that matter, it's easy to immediately turn to your friends for your first sales. The problem is they have a vested interest in liking you and wanting to support you. Thus, you don't have to overcome the initial skepticism. You have to quickly learn the challenges that non-affiliated prospects are going to raise and figure out how to sell to that in order for you to grow. Number two, you'll never sell anything while you're talking. 
I know it almost sounds blasphemous, but customers will talk themselves into buying something if you let them. By asking the right questions and being courteous enough to shut up and actually listen to their answers, you'll discover a whole new side of the sales process. Number three, understand what your buyer is up against. Buyers are under assault every day. They're getting bombarded with spam disguised as prospecting, dodging calls by getting rid of their voicemail, and trying to make sense of the countless salespeople that are lying to them to get a deal done. What they really want to know is what happens to them after they buy from you. Will you make them look like a hero or a chump? That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. Why is it when you blow in a dog's face, they get mad at you, but when you take them for a car ride, they stick their head out the window?